What is the thing that keeps normal people from becoming? Santa I plead Claus? the fifth. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, where were you last night? Is my lawyer present? Hey, guess what? This is going to be a bumpy night. A lot happened since yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of A Lot's Happened Since Yesterday. This is a spooky episode, to say the least. We're going to get gruesome. Buckle in. Like Ralph said, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Because this is... I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but right now I'm just going to say it's the Serial Killer Special. Is that good enough for right now? Yeah, that works. It's absolutely good enough for right now. It's good enough for right now. It's good enough for tomorrow. It's good enough for any time in the future because this is a crazy episode. We're, we're, we're going into something that is insane, insanity. So how can we like put a, a label on it? We can't. We have to say, Hey, guess what? This is going to be a bumpy night. So, Eric B and Vicky V are our guests. These guys are podcasters and they're badass and we love them. And, and we, we wanted to have them back on the show. And we wanted to have a special episode where we talk about serial killers. So, guys. I think we, I think we brought it up on the previous episode. We yeah. came up with the idea because we started going yeah. down that rabbit hole. And we were like, we should save this. <laughs> <laughs> but we are back. How are you guys doing? We're good. Thanks so much for having us back. We had such a good time last time that I'm I'm excited to uh, shift topics a little bit and uh, talk about something else that we like to, to go down about. I will say I started doing research and I'm like, oh, I'm going to go down so many different topics. <laughs> and I immediately got overwhelmed. It's very I was easy. Like, yeah, I like, I know, you know, your standards and we'll get into the Dahmers and the Bundys and all that. And then I'm reading like <laughs> people who like, Oh, you didn't go back as far enough as Amelia Dyer or you didn't go back as far enough. And I'm like, 600? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, wait, wait, no. So I'm going to go at it this way. I have notes of people I want to talk about, but I'm going to pretend to know absolute zero because you guys, I know, know way more than I do. And I want to hear what you guys know. That's the truth, isn't yeah. it? These guys. These guys know way more than me. Because you guys even said Dark Sun talks mostly about cannibalism, as I recall when we talked about it. Yeah, that is kind of the running joke. We, we, we try and talk about, like, the evilest shit ever, you know, that's going on in, in this crazy fucked up world that we live in. Um, and it always boils down to demon, demonic possession, demons, uh, cannibalism seems to... People joke going, oh, it's a cannibalism show, right? Like Stabby stabby, that's what they call it, stabby stabby. Yeah. <laughs> Blood and guts, but hey, yep. you know, whatever puts a smile on your face. It's not just for breakfast anymore, just like Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, we were so excited about the topic of doing the Serial Killer Show that we couldn't wait. And we did our own show um, when we did our show live on Monday. Um, we started the, the whole Serial Killer vibe with uh, what Eric calls Serial Killer 101. And just sort of went through the history and sort of where the, the term serial killer comes from and sort of the background type stuff. Nice. So we have a little bit of that for you from our notes from then. Um, if you guys want to talk about that just a little bit, just so that people that are watching and listening um, have a little bit of the background history. Well, do me a favor and plug your show real quick. Let everybody know the name of your show, where they can find you guys. Because, yes, I, I think you guys have a great show. Hell yeah. So, Go ahead, Vicky. Uh, 
<laughs> so we are um, on the Para-X Radio Network every Monday night at 10 o'clock live, um, barring, you know, holidays and things. Um, our show is Dark Sun Rising, and we, like Eric said, we talk about all kinds of stuff. So we go from paranormal to stabby stabby. <laughs> you guys got to check these guys out. It's fun, man. They have a lot of fun, and you're going to have fun with them. So that's the point. Um, so, guys, what do you think? I mean, when it comes to serial killers, do you think it's something that's forced attrition? Like, do you think, basically, do you think that these, they're made? Or do you think that it's just sometimes people are just evil? You know what I mean? What's your thoughts? Go ahead, Vicky. Oh, I was going to let you take that with oh, your then I, then I shall, absolutely. psychiatry background. <laughs> yes. Yeah, to start with, yeah. Uh, that's been the golden question since the beginning, beginning of mankind, or I should say people kind, so we'd be gender neutral. Uh, people have been <laughs> killing other people literally since people were on the planet, right? Wow. And so people who are in medicine, psychiatry, law enforcement have not quite nailed it down as to the nature versus nurture theory, which is what you're talking about. Are people, mm -hmm. quote, born evil? Uh, do they come out of the womb that way, or is it they come out of the womb with a clean slate and it's their upbringing, their childhood, uh, and then that basically the nurture, which is we make serial killers. I would put it in a mixed mixture of both. I think people are born, let's say, for example, with brain abnormalities, with um, biochemical imbalances as as when they're born, and then having basically just the right ingredients, if I can use that term. Uh, they turn and become, you know, serial killers. So there's not really a magical ingredient list saying if you do steps one through four, you will have a serial killer, you know, on the other end. It's just, it's many shades of gray. So they don't know what makes it. They just know characteristics early on that usually result in. Correct. So a lot of uh, clinicians who are in forensic psychiatry who, you know, interview serial killers after they're caught ask them that tons and tons of questions like so tell me about your childhood you know what do you remember about this and that why did you do it or what are your you know like they drill them and they're like a, a fountain of information and yes they have sort of compiled a list of here's common characteristics that of the thousands of serial killers that they've talked to a lot of them have this similar you know all, a lot of these similar pieces so there are some red flags i guess is what you want to call it but it's not necessarily a guaranteed you know, put the quarter into the machine and then the serial killer spits out at the other end. Yeah, I read like, um, when we, when I was doing research for this, <clears throat> there was, did they call it the triad, the triad or the trifecta for children? They're like, what is it? You know, uh, animal torture, bedwetting and fire starting. Mm -hmm. Like the triads that, mm -hmm. like you said, that's not a guarantee, but if they're doing that, it's pretty bad. It's a warning sign. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely a red flag. That makes sense. When you guys did your radio show and I want to do an abbreviate, like you said, all you people, we're going to do a very abbreviated version of this. Go watch their show after this and listen and learn. <laughs> but how far did you guys go back when you when you guys spoke about it? Like, how far does this get recorded? So we really just talked about the history and the the term serial killer, where it comes from, who created it, that type of thing. So we can give you a quick sort of synopsis of that mm -hmm. that will sort of kick us off in the right direction. Okay. 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 
Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. All right. So um, it was really an FBI agent that created the specific term that we know as serial killer. Uh, Robert Ressler was the first one to use it um, in a law enforcement context when they were doing their psychological studies of all of these killers in prison. Um, so they define the term serial killer as one person that murders at least two people over time in different places with a cooling off period in between. So it's very specific. Um, and when you think about it, obviously that makes perfect sense. Although hearing the term cooling off period in between was kind of the thing I was like, Oh yeah, well that makes that, that yeah. sounds right. Because other than that, it's, you know, not serial murderers or serial killers. It's, you know, people that are doing it spur of the moment, that kind of thing. So the earliest recorded serial killer was in 144 BC. So that's really how far back this goes. <laughs> and of course, we didn't call it that then, obviously, because it was in the 70s that um, someone sort of created this terminology that we are used to hearing. Uh, but clearly, like Eric said, people have been doing this since the dawn of time. So, right. yeah. So they're saying that the first um, modern serial killer in the way that we think of it, even though the term came later, the first one that we would have looked at that way would have been Jack the Ripper. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So that's sort of the, 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 yeah, that's, uh, he's, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's sort of just the quick basics of, you know, well, where the term came from and that kind of thing. He's probably one of the most famous serial killers of all time. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it, 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 you know, it makes sense, but I got to ask you this. What, what differentiates uh, a serial killer from a mass murderer in your opinion? So I think that, and maybe Eric will speak on this as well, but I think that goes back to the cooling off period. Um, which is what defines the specific of the serial killer. So that's someone who is targeting people and doing this type of thing, whereas a mass murderer is somebody who may come in and just shoot up the place and take out 50 people, but that's happening all at one time. That's not something where they've committed the crime, left the scene days later, months later, whatever, gone to a different place, done the same thing. So, so it's, it's not just, meticulous. Yeah. It's not... You know, And, and not that a serial killer necessarily has to be meticulous in what they do, but it's just sort of it's not a crime of passion that happens all at one time. Okay. Yeah, because you could, I mean, technically, if you didn't consider the cooling off period, you could consider cycles like Genghis Khan back in the day as a serial killer. Mm -hmm. But he's like, no, he was a mass murderer and, you know, more. he was more than a serial killer at that age, you know. Right. I, I mean, a good example to use would be like, for example, the school shooting, let's say, in Parkland, Florida. Okay. So a guy goes in, a kid goes in and starts shooting up the school. That would be a, theoretically, serial killers and what they call a spree killer are both mass murders, meaning they're killing masses of people. However, spree killer, it's all done in, in one, I was going to say one shot, which is probably in poor taste, but it's all done in one massive event. Right. Whereas they uh, also, and then thrill. I'm sorry? I was going to say that does make sense, where you're, what you're saying, because yeah. the serial killer would be like, yeah, I killed those people, I'm going to do it again. Right. And then like a thrill killer, someone like um, Andrew Kananen, uh, who killed, remember, uh, Versace. He did uh, basically a series of murders. He basically went from state to state to state as he was running from the police and killed people in every single state that he found until he was finally captured in Florida after killing Versace. So theoretically, all three scenarios are killing multiple people. It's just it's how they're done, like Vicky had pointed out. It's mm. very interesting. It makes me sad that we have to have this many distinctions for killing people. <laughs> right. Yeah. How sad. Yeah. <laughs> Leave it to humanity yeah. to categorize yeah. their murderers. So good at often people, I man. Mean, you know, good there's war. There's war. There's soldiers, and they go out and they have to kill the bad guys. You know what I'm saying? And uh, 
and there's post-traumatic stress disorder based on that. You know what I mean? Because it's not normal to go out and kill people. You know what I mean? So uh, people that have that task, they suffer severely mentally. You know what I mean? So that's the thing that I wonder. What's the difference between someone that is put up to the task to go and, you know, just be the good guy and take care of the country from wicked people, I guess. Well, and we're not even talking about just everyday soldiers. There are I'm, some people you don't even know exist because they were trained not to, whose yeah. sole purpose is to go, hey, there's a bad guy on the other side of the world. Go into him. And yeah. they go, yes, sir. Exactly. And, you know, they, they just disappear. You know what I mean? Night. So what's the difference between those guys hmm. and the guys we're talking about? That's what I want. Vicky, do you want to start? Yeah. <laughs> yeah let's do um, this. I mean, yeah, obviously there's, there's a huge difference because, and, and we could get into the semantics of all of that, but the reality is when you're talking about soldiers and people that are doing a job for a specific reason, whether it's protecting your country, whatever it might be, um, obviously that is part of the, unfortunately, I'm part of the job. Whereas, you know, the serial killer that we're talking about are the people that are not well and they have, you know, chosen specific victims for various reasons. And, and we can certainly talk about that when we get into specifics about the different killers, you know, if we want to pick a couple to chat about. Um, but it's obviously a very different scenario yeah let's make the disclaimer we are not implying that soldiers are serial killers we're just talking no, about no, no, at all. no 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 i'm talking about the no. people right now whose butts are puckering they're like oh you motherfucker no, I no i'm not support of soldiers i'm no, not god bless thank you for your service it's literally just but the, the, the it, philosophy it, behind it i'm, I'm yeah. just looking at the philosophy yes absolutely and yes. uh, cody said it right I'm well and then we could do the philosophy. same thing with the mafia dude the mob does yes. the same thing but we we don't call hitmen serial killers do we yes we do oh do we yeah i mean Theoretically, they are serial killers. They're just, they are serial, but if we want to talk about it later, is a type of serial killer, which is basically they're motivated by profit, which is essentially, I'm, I'm getting paid if I, if I kill you. Okay. My next paycheck, I got to kill you so I can get paid. So the motivation is profit. Theoretically, you are a serial killer if you're a, a quote, a paid hitman. If I can it jump. It doesn't matter why you're doing it. You're still fucking doing it. Cody brought that up. That's yeah, true. Cody, Cody and I were talking about that earlier. Absolutely, there are some that were uh, motivated by by monetary compensation. Really. Yeah, A H you know H Holmes. I mean? He was yeah. he was purely motivated by insurance scams, and he murdered people um, to basically gain their insurance policies. And then eventually, he got caught, but he killed a lot of people and made millions back in his day, which was a fortune. And he was just driven simply by just greed. Mm. And what? But isn't people like him like? Isn't he a little bit more than just greed, though? Because why did he have, if it was just killing, why didn't he just take him somewhere and put a bullet in him? Didn't he, like, torture him and he actually made rooms in the, in, or am I thinking somebody else? No, no, you, you got the right guy. He made, okay. like, a rooming house. Of, again, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but he made some sort of, like, rooming house or yeah. an apartment building. He was, like, a pharmacist and he took over. It was, like, a pharmacy on the ground floor and then he had, like, a rooming house above it. And then as his victims would come conduct business or stay, he would then mm -hmm. kill them. He basically had chutes, almost like a laundry chute, built in behind the walls that would drop the bodies into the basement, and then he would uh, cook them up in a kiln, basically a furnace. So you, you would basically be cremating the bodies. 
And so people would say, hey, wasn't Smart. so. Yeah, the guy was Straight a. Up, <laughs> no, I'm not going to lie. The guy was a freaking genius, right? He had all, yeah. he, he was also what you would call, um, an organized serial mm-hmm. killer because he had all this planned. And then when people cut saying, wasn't like Susie Smith with you like last week? Oh yeah, well, we signed some paperwork. We did some business deals. I have no idea what happened to her. They would look around and she's not here. So, you know what I mean? So it took long enough for enough people to be disappearing around H.H. Holmes where he finally got caught. But yeah. Well, that's the funny thing, Eric, that you mentioned that I think is uh, amusing because, um, a lot of people think serial killers are these like, you know, these guys that come out with knives and they just, you know, they cut you up and stuff. But really, they're not. Most of them are everyday people mm-hmm. that hang out and talk to you and you don't know that they're disturbed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, they absolutely. They don't know that you're going to take them home, you're going to drug them, and you're going to cut them up into a thousand pieces. You know what I mean? They have absolutely. no idea. You know what I mean? So that's the funny thing about it is, is a lot of people have this idea that it's like this, you know, uh, uh, you know what I mean? And well, that that's mass culture, sort of misappropriating people with severe yeah. psychotic mental illness and sort of painting an, a false narrative as to what, quote, a serial killer is. Because that's what they, when you think of slasher movies and you think of, serial, quote, serial killers in movies or people that are deemed the crazed killer, Mm-hmm. There's a stereotype that kicks into your head, and that's not reality. There are serial killers that are psychotic um, and have severe mental illness, but that's not everybody. Look at someone like Ted Bundy. Well, I think that's the fascination, to be honest with you. At least for me, one of the things that fascinates me the most is that, you know, when, when these people's family are interviewed, you know, after they finally catch them, Everybody says the same thing. Oh, he was such a nice guy. He was so normal. I never, you know what I mean? So I think that's the fascination for me is just to see the ability to live that, that double standard, that double life where they're having a day job and they're doing their regular, you know, working at the grocery store, you know, during the day and at night, you know, they've got this completely psycho life going on where they're, you know, capturing people and murdering them and doing whatever. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of the fascination is just to see how they walk one way during the day and completely different at night like Ted Bundy. Like that guy is incredible. Well, and like, for, like for me personally, you know, I even growing up when I was a child, I remember going camping and, you know, caught a fish and I was heartbroken because I killed the damn thing. I couldn't let it go. So the idea for me, you know, that's like, how can you physically get to a point where you can inflict that much pain on anything, let alone a human being, and then just go have a pizza later. Right. It, doesn't, it, it does not. <laughs> it doesn't compute at all. Right. Like, Which is no why it's true. so fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So is that why it's fascinating? I mean, because that was a question that I was going to ask you guys. Why is it so fascinating for us? Because it's not just you. It's not just Eric. It's not just Cody. It's, it's not just me. It's all of us. We all are fascinated by these serial killers. I mean, Maybe not everybody, but there's a lot of people that are. You know what I mean? So what's the fascination? I mean, I feel like Eric and I have talked about this before. And one of the things that we do when we, when we have the stories on our show about these, and we have whole episodes about real life crazy news stories where, you know, stabby, stabby cannibalism comes in. Um, <laughs> and where we were literally just trying to figure out what goes through this person's head that then made them do whatever crazy thing they did. And it's that, that need to understand crazy 
So for, you know, and crazy is probably not the, the term I'm supposed to use, but it's that oh. need to, to understand and break down and sort of get the logic behind how people do these things. Like what were they thinking? What were they feeling? What would take them? What took them over the edge? you know, to create this new other life they got going on. Like, I think, think that's the fascination. Do you ever, do you ever think that maybe there's a part of you that wonders if you could be that way? But I think that gets I mean, us down to what the, are you trying to you say, know, Rob? I'm, saying? No, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, well, like, yeah. that's the thing, a normal part, can't understand crazy. Part, yes. Is there a little part in you that goes, well, I what keeps us all from being serial killers? Going. Is that what you're? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> what is the thing that keeps normal people from becoming? Serial I plead killers? the fifth. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, it, I mean, where, where were you last night? Yeah. Is my lawyer <laughs> present? <laughs> Just the guys in the white van down the street. Right? Exactly. No, in in all seriousness, that that's part of the mor- the moral development that most quote normal people have, as they understand the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. So they understand that I can't kill people. I know it's against the law, but it's also not a nice thing to do because it causes suffering and I'm going to get in trouble because of it. Serial killers lose that connection, whether it's physical, meaning in cognitive, or it's behavioral over time, is they see people as objects, as like a pawn or an obstacle to get uh, in my way to what I want. So they don't have that emotional connection of, Oh, yeah, see that woman over there? I have sexual impulses. Normally, you say, well, maybe we should date, and then we might be intimate. Instead, it's, I want to have sex right now, and I don't care if that chick who I think is hot right over there wants it or not. I'm going to just walk right over there, and I'm just going to have my way with her. And then it's like, well, also, I think it's really cool if I just decapitate her, too, because that would get me off, so I'll just do that as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it's like, yeah, cool. Not cool on any of it, but it's like, they, oh, what point is it like? Ah, fuck it. We'll just go the whole way. They just, oh, they just shit. don't have that filter <laughs> that's between. Like a serious yeah. double down. Well, they, like I'm saying, they, that's what I mean. That that happens. It's yeah. just that they don't have that filter between. I I have these impulses, but we, meaning the normal, I guess normal is. I'll, I'll use that term loosely. We have that filter that says, even though you have the impulse, you can't act on the impulse. So you find other creative avenues like music, art, and other things to express and get out those impulses in a more creative and law-abiding, you know, lawful way, whereas <laughs> serial killers are like, fuck it. I'm just going to... And that's why people are fascinated by it. Everyone idolizes the anti-hero. Think, think, of the, think of the slasher guys from the 80s, Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger. People are going, oh, Freddy Krueger's awesome, I love him. The guy was a child molester who got murdered. Yeah. And you're cheering him as the vi- as the hero. He's the villain, you asswipes. But <laughs> but people always cheer for the anti-hero. But also people like to intellectualize things that they can't control. Serial killers break the rules. They make their own rules. And people are terrified by the thought that, like you said, the guy that you walked by getting milk at the grocery store could have been sizing you up and down as you might be my next victim. Uh, and people are terrified by it. So they intellectualize it by studying serial killers, looking at documentaries, reading the books, that somehow it makes them not necessarily idolize them or sympathize with them, but it somehow soothes them a little bit. Not that it takes the threat away. What what about this? How much of it do you think is kind of a subconscious, like, defense? Like, I'm going to study Ed Kemper because there's Ed Kemper's walking around, and if I can pinpoint his psychosis, and that motherfucker walks by me, I can go, nah, that guy seems weird, I'm staying away from him. 
Maybe. Like, is it, yeah. is it like Maybe. us trying to, I'm not, I just like freak out over the stories, but I wonder if there are people who do that. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there's some in the population that use that, that come from that point of view, where if I can understand it a little better, maybe I can do something about it, stop it, or keep it from happening to me or my loved ones. Yeah. Have yeah. You, I wanted I to bring know. up um, a movie that I watched recently, and I think it's an interesting point about the same thing. Um, it's called Dear Mr. Gacy. Have you it's seen it? It's on that? my list. It's it on is the list so under good. fascination what we're talking about right now. It is so good. So that the whole dude was ridiculous. Crazy. So um for for listeners and watchers who haven't seen that, it is literally um it was it's a real story about a college kid who was studying serial killers and he became fascinated with Gacy. And he decided as part of his uh project he was trying to do for his presentation, he wanted to try to get John Wayne Gacy to take a letter from him and write with him. He wanted to correspond. So he found a way to create a, a kinship, a friendship with the serial killer who was in jail. And it led him down this crazy path. And a lot happens in that movie, but it's all based on this guy's real story that he wrote a book on. And, and it's, but it gives you such an interesting insight, at least, I mean, I'm sure there's dramatic effect and whatever, but it gives you an interesting insight to the mind of a serial killer, which is the whole point of what he was trying to do. Yeah. And it is, wow. Yeah, William Forsyth plays... Yes. Uh, uh, awesome. Gacy. John Wayne Gacy, yeah. And he is disturbing. Yes. Because he has that way. He's on the phone, hey, pal, how you doing? And you're like, yeah, he's not oh, so amazing. bad. And then amazing. immediately he flips to this, you little motherfucker, I will end you. And you're just like, dude, what the fuck is going on? And to know it's based on a true story freaking mm-hmm. out. Oh, have yeah. you seen it already? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, actually, I watched it because oh. Vicky said she was watching. It. I was like, "What's that about?" You can watch it. On, it's on Amazon <laughs> if you want to watch it. It's, it's so it. good, though. But it yeah, really, it really does get to the same point that we're discussing yeah. about that fascination. Of course, that guy took it a lot Too farther than any of us regular. Well, from what I research, that guy's name is Jason Moss, and mm-hmm. I did research. He ta- he contacted Wait Gacy. He contacted Richard Ramirez, Jeffrey Dahmer, Henry Lee Lucas, and Charles Manson. He oh, was wow. he was corresponding. <laughs> Like this dude went deep. Yes. Yes. And, and the conversations and I mean, through the movie, he really was trying to understand how Gacy used psychology to lure his victims and to get that sense of security with people and then flipped on them. Right. And, you know, throughout the story, I mean, basically he does it to him. And so he really learns, you know, how manipulative. And that's the thing that I think is so interesting about Gacy about Bundy about a lot of these Manson just the way they are able to manipulate people into changing completely into whatever they're trying to get him to do yes like you turn they turn into well like like he did in the thing you you know Gacy we again sexual attraction is sexual attraction why does it have to be here these are fake handcuffs and now you're not fake handcuffs and it's like what the fuck man right (laughs) Like, like, how did you fall for that? You, well, not only that, but like Gacy, could you guys not just bone? Was it that big a deal that you had to go that far with it? Right, right. You know, yeah. And so that's that's the other thing that just freaks me out. You know. Well, and like Manson, I think is a very interesting one too because his ability to manipulate thinking and create this mass of of people to just do his bidding and you know this whole it's just a weird. Is experience. Manson a serial killer? I, Psycho, sure, but I, but I mean, I think no, he's not. Yeah. I see. I and by the definition, no. But he certainly fits the whole mentality of 
cre- he like created serial killers basically. He, he's a cult leader. He's yeah. a cult leader yeah. that incited people to kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he didn't actually. He killed what? Nobody. Guy, I think he didn't kill anybody. He killed one drug dealer years before, years prior. Right. Um, that he, they eventually linked him to, but no, he actually killed no one. He as as Ralph had mentioned, is he inspired other people to kill for him? Because mm-hmm. uh, his grand plan was helter skelter. He basically said that blacks and whites, it, like sort of like in a white supremacist sort of mentalities, blacks and whites can't, have to be segregated. He says blacks are going to take over the world, and he said some very derog- derogatory things about blacks. So he says it's going to be a racial holy war, and the blacks are going to wipe out the whites. We're going to live off in this ranch out in the middle of nowhere. And then once Helter Skelter's done, then we're going to come from wherever out in the desert and we're going to rule over the blacks because they can't rule themselves. And so by him inciting people to commit the murders that he did, he thought that was going to spark the racial holy war, as, as known as Helter Skelter. So he was actually put in prison for con- conspiracy to commit murder, not actually killing anybody. We, and I wanted to mention, so um, we had a guest on our show, not, uh, it was about two years ago. Um, who does a lot of research and he did a lot of, um, he wrote some books about various serial killers. But one of the things that he did is he had direct contact and he wrote letters to Manson and Manson wrote him back and sent him a, a prison made sock puppet. His little doll. He, I mean, you know, to his house, I, <laughs> which just threw me for a loop. I was like, I don't know that I want Manson having my home address. Exactly. Yeah. Boston. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and sending me handmade sock dolls. <laughs> What's funny is uh, I'll quote Suicidal Tendencies, like one of the greatest surf punk bands from like the 80s. It says, you wouldn't know crazy if Charlie Manson was eating Fruit Loops on your front porch. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then let's double down even more on the fascination part for a second because Charles Manson, Richard Ramirez, Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, mm-hmm. all of those for sure, they all got fucking married after the fact of all the shit they did. Yeah. Yeah, what weird. is up with that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like, what's wrong with those women? Right. Now, I hear the Manson one who the the lady who married Manson was literally doing it so when he died she could take his body on tour and make money. Correct. Yep. Legit. Yeah. And I'm like, man, plan, right? I thought there was. I didn't think there was anybody <laughs> lower than Manson, but fuck this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's that's that an interesting, uh, like I said, an interesting. Uh, an interesting study in psychology of of men and women who try to um, become romantically involved with serial killers, and and it's very common as they'll say, no one knows he or she like I do. I see a special side of them that they're really tender and wonderful, and it doesn't matter if they you know butchered a hundred people, but I know that secret that I fall that secret oh. side that I've fallen in love with. And it's like you're kidding me, right? I mean, but. <laughs> But they, they use the photos, man. Right. <laughs> yeah. They just push all that aside. They it just it just in complete denial. It's like you realize that if we released him or her today, I'm gonna kill you next. And you I took the first one. Exactly. You're gonna be. Yeah. You know, your head's gonna be on a pointy stick tomorrow. But that's the interesting <laughs> thing, though, is because that same mentality that allows these people that are marrying them to believe that they're these wonderful people. That's the same duality that they have in regular life. That you know. They walk around and they're just wonderful people until they decide that you're the next victim, you know. But I think also it's people like saying, I have someone who's very, very special. Yeah. Who 
I have a relationship with that no one else can. It's like so, and it's also, like a rock star thing. Yeah. yeah, and also having a relationship with someone who's in prison, it's never going to be consummated, and it's not a real relationship. So you can control it as much as you want to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it kind of fills that other psychological need. We get right. which is just again, it's it's still pretty nuts, you know. Yeah. yeah, like I, I get like what you were saying right there. I'm like, yeah, totally. To- nope, I can't go along with this. This is just weird. Like, <laughs> find somebody on World of Warcraft and find call them your boyfriends. Like, God's, why does it have to be Richard Ramirez? God's, God's <laughs> one hell of a lonely person, man. If yeah. They, yeah. If they're going after somebody that's committed murder and hack people up. But look, look at this way. in prison. You know what I mean? But also look at look at it this way. Someone like like Dennis Rader, who was the bind torture kill murderer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he had a wife and a daughter. Mm-hmm. He was very involved in church. He was very involved in his community. Had a great job, but then he liked to murder people as as a hobby on the side. And it, <laughs> I mean, it, it could very well be that he could have obviously a relationship with the woman that was completely quote normal, but mm-hmm. then he had his fantasy life and his fantasy victims. That were completely separate and isolated from uh, his family life. So perhaps, let's say, if you released Richard Ramirez, if he was still alive, and said, "Yeah, go home with your wife and whatever," he might keep her quote safe because she fulfills some kind of need, and you know he would not make her a victim. Not that that would be a hundred percent guaranteed, but I mean, it has happened. No, but that would make sense because it would be a point of stability for them and they could just go do their thing because they know she wouldn't question it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the wife never had no clue. Right. The wife, I mean, he was just very average Joe, very quiet, like, you know, she had no idea that that, uh, all that was going on because he was so good at having that that double life. Well, Dennis Rader's daughter actually wrote a book. I tried to get her onto the show, but she's just so busy. She basically says, like, I was the, the profile of the people that my dad was murdering. Mm-hmm. which is beyond bizarre, but yet yeah. she said he was the most loving dad. You would never think twice that anything was a mess, but it sure was. That's And and sometimes you hear, like, you watch the interviews with them, you know, and their reasoning is so strange. Mm-hmm. Like, and they speak about it like, you know, I, I don't know if it was Bundy or not. I, I read so much so about these. But they said when you read the profile of one of them, who, his victims, and then you trace it back, the first woman who ever rejected him was a spitting image of the women he was killing. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right. That's and you're very just like, common. so the woman said no, so kill them all. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, yeah. don't you get yeah, it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and oh, I think that was Bundy, right? I'm pretty sure that was Bundy. That sounds familiar. Yeah, he likes you. I think that's also, kind I think that of what it is. You know what I mean? I think they're kind of detached. They're in, but they're detached. You know what I mean? So it's almost like they're on the edge of lunacy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they, you know what I mean? They, they, they're there with everyday people and they know how to react to everyday situations and it's just normal. Yeah. And they go with it. But there's this extra thing that they got going on and it, it, it just gets them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just, it just encases their brain. The rest of us, like Eric was saying, we, we go, no, that's not okay. We can't do that. But these guys, for some reason, male or female, it doesn't matter, they grab onto this weird psychosis and they go, no, I'm going to live out this fantasy. And I'm going to see how it goes. You know what I mean? 
It's my right as a human. I don't know. I have no idea what they're thinking, dude. I have no idea. You know what I mean? But all I can tell you is there's a detachment there, uh, but it's, it's, it's a weird, you know what I mean? It, it's a weird dichotomy in a way. It's, it, it's a gray area. It's not black and white. Well, that's you where know? it gets weird too. When you watch, when you hear some of the story, I mean, look at Richard Ramirez. That poor boy was tortured into becoming that. Mm-hmm. If you look at his backstory, you're like, it's heartbreaking to hear what he went through as a child oh, to make the monster that there was, you know? Mm-hmm. And how do you separate the ones that break versus the ones that are tormented? You know, yeah. I mean, you look at him and he's worshiping the devil and going, all men are evil. You think? You think he would think that after all right. that? You know, and mm-hmm. how do you get a hold of that? Versus somebody like, uh, uh, who's the dude, the, the, the mob guy, uh, the Iceman. I can't think of oh, his name. Oh, Kuklinski? Kuklinski, yeah. Yeah. And he actually's telling his stories and he's like, oh yeah, you know, I just wanted to see if the crossbow would work. So I put it to the guy's head, pulled the trigger, it worked. And then he talks about how his daughter doesn't like him and he literally breaks into tears. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have hurt them. You're like, you shouldn't have hurt them? You made them feel bad and that makes you cry? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how, you, how, how is it, is it just not the connection or have they just been so beaten down that there's no getting to it? Yeah, they're, 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 they're so psychologically jaded that they look at people as like a product. Yeah. Like with, with, like the Iceman, he looked at it as, well, my job is to kill that person. It's, it's a job. They completely mentally detach from, but you like, they can still have mental detachments to family, which is unusual because most serial killers don't have connection to family either. Mm-hmm. Right. But he was able to shut it off with a cold clinical detachment and just saying, that person's a product. You are not, you're, you're basically, you're an object. I need to basically kill you. And okay, great. What's, what's my next check? Um, which, which is frightening to be honest with you that people like that walk around. Like you would also mention about people that, take revenge on people that have done them wrong. And that's a very common thread. They'll say, I hated my mother because, let's say, she beat me, she was an alcoholic, she neglected me, um, she was a prostitute or whatever, and so I'm killing people that reminded me of my mother. Um, look at, like, Ed Gein, Ed, 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 Edward Gein. He was so detached with his mother, when his mom passed away, he just lost his shit. And then, like you said, he... If you think about it, uh, like with the movie Psycho, which is what that was based off of, is mm-hmm. he wanted to basically preserve his mother and and become his mother because he loved her so much. Um, but she was a terrible person, wasn't she? Oh, she was horrible. Treated him okay, like that's what I, that's what I thought. Yeah, of course, because he would if she wasn't, he wouldn't have been crazy. Yeah, his, he did, so. his <laughs> right. His, <laughs> his mother was very uh, had like a fundamentalist religion, something like let's say like Lutheran, let's say, and she basically said all women are, are whores. They basically will cause you to stray from God. I am the only person, the only woman that is worthy of of your love and affection. You know what I mean? So it was like to that level. And then, of course, when she's dead, now it's like, well, what do I do now? So now he's now basically taking out his rage on other women, the whores that his mom hated. If you look at, like, Ted Bundy, he liked young brunettes. That was his thing. That was, like, the first woman that ever rejected him, and he just took it to a whole whole new level but you're right most of us just kind of you know see a psychiatrist see a psychologist get over it you know we, we figure it out Talk but to a friend <laughs> something yeah have any of these guys heard about rebound sex it's a thing i mean i don't recommend it but it's a thing i think i think we've all been there yeah um so i wanted to share a little bit again of the the clinical stuff that we talked yeah. about the other night yeah so 
there it's broken down into categories, the types of killers, why they do what they do. Um, so it's visionary, missionary, hedonistic, and power control. So those are the four types or sort of archetypes of the serial killer. So the visionary is generally either possessed, they believe they're possessed by a demon or they're an agent of God. So they think they're doing God's work when they're out taking out whoever they're taking out. Um, the missionary are, they're exterminating a particular type of person. So they're on a mission of specific to them. So whatever their issue is. Okay. Um, the hedonistic is the thrill seeker or the sexual um, murderer, you know, like Bundy, stuff like that, or for profit. So like H.H. H. Holmes, which is what she talked about before. And then there's the the last one is considered the, is, um, the power or control. Um, so that would be like the, the BTK killer, someone who's specifically just looking to have control and power over someone, probably because they don't have it in their own lives. So that's sort of how the FBI breaks down the the psychological types. And it just, I think that's an interesting way to look at it um, when you start to think about some of the ones that we're talking about. Because they we, fall in, one, all of them have fallen in. While you were saying that, I was like, well, yeah, that's that guy. Yep, know, yep, yeah, that one, that one, that one. That one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and obviously I think most of the ones that are probably famous or the thing, you know, the ones that we tend to latch onto as our, uh, you know, fascinations are probably the ones that are the, the hedonistic, the, you know, those serial killers that are sexually driven, money driven, whatever it might be. So. Cause those are the ones who are usually also kind of sending the letters and being like, Ooh, yeah. look at me. Cause they're, they're enjoying the thrill of it. All. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. Well, you guys are definitely, uh, very interested in this topic. So I'm, I'm assuming that you've done a, a, a certain amount of research. And you have your own opinions. Uh, so that would be my question is, where do you stand? Do you agree with the FBI's assessment of the <coughs> serial killers or do you have your own take? Eric, why don't you take that one from your psychological perspective there? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I guess, I mean, I, I agree with being to categorize people. But, it's, it, but sometimes when you have something that's rigid, then you always have the gray area, and that's where things kind of fall apart. Because I mean, people don't necessarily fall into nice, tidy little boxes. There are those that kind of blur the lines, which is okay. I like it with the fact that is when we study serial killers, we can say he, he or she falls into this particular category, and they know by studying other people in that category how the people think, uh, what motivates them. Um, and then all, they also look at is how be best to catch them, and when they bring them in for questioning, how to best peel those layers back to sort of talk to them on their level. Um, so, so like I said, with Robert Ressler back in the mid seventies, I actually got to hear him lecture in the uh, mid nineties um, when he came through my town. It was a bunch of law enforcement guys and people in psychiatry and stuff to talk about this this particular thing. Um, if you, if you, like, for example, John Wayne Gacy, um, he would be sort of like in, in the hedonistic and he was, was a thrill seeker. He liked, he loved committing murder. It was also sexual lust a little bit because he liked, um, basically to have, uh, he had gay victims, young men. That was his thing, but also he also liked the power and control. So he kind of had all three kind of mashed in. The way that they, the detectives got him to talk was they, they prayed to his hedonistic side and saying, wow, that's pretty amazing that you were able to get 30 whatever bodies under that porch. How the hell did you do that? 
And that actually is what got him talking about it. And because he was like, oh, so you think I'm, I'm intelligent and I'm interesting and that I'm creative and I have things to offer. It played on that part of him. Then he started talking about, yeah, I did it this way and did it that way. And that, you know, kind of got the, the avalanche going to uncover his case. Um, so that's why I think it is very helpful. That's a very interesting point. I wonder, what are your thoughts? Do you think that someone could have a conversation with a serial killer that was planning to kill them? And based on what you just said, maybe convince them not to? Based on just being charming? And and giving them compliments that actually you know happened, what I mean. I believe mm-hmm. you think the toy so? box killer. Mm-hmm. No, I know. I know so. I can't remember what case it was. Hmm. She got kidnapped and was being held in the dude's house. He was chaining her up and stuff. Yeah, I can't. I, I cannot remember who it was. But then she started basically flirting with him and talking to him and just becoming a person. And then she, she got to the point where he got so comfortable he left and left the keys on the table. She unlocked herself and took off down the first house and got free. I believe that's I that's, that's Ray Parker that you're talking about. Ray Parker? Okay, mm-hmm. okay. We'll have to. I'll have to put that information on it because I couldn't. I just know I'd heard that somewhere. But yes, that actually happened. She she oh. used his weaknesses against him and bested the guy, which was kind of cool. I thought. I, th- I think there's actually a documentary somewhere on one of the streaming networks that it discusses mm-hmm. exactly that topic, which is people who had brushes with serial killers. Who could have become their victims, but for whatever reason, you know, pure coincidence or just damn luck, uh, ended up not becoming a victim. So there are thousands of people across this country today who have had, uh, brushes with serial killers and made it. Well, didn't you say you did, Eric? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, his, his name was Henry Lewis Wallace. They called him the Taco Bell killer. And the reason for that, he was, uh, based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And he actually was a manager of a Taco Bell restaurant. And he started killing basically his, his, his workers and then was murdering relatives and friends of his. And then moved on to essentially mostly black, uh, prostitutes and drug addicts until he was finally caught. Um, I think he killed, I think, oh, at least a dozen. I, from, from my, my recollection. And people complain saying, okay, it was a black guy, but he killed mainly black victims, so therefore the police didn't give a shit, which is not true. Um, I met him, quote, met him, um, when he, he was already here, was already locked up, and they brought him through, um, what they call central processing, which is in downtown Charlotte. He was being held at the, at the prison out in Raleigh. Uh, but he was basically, he got into a fight with another inmate that was a relative of one of his victims who decided to take some revenge. And he fucked up that, that inmate and like put the guy in the hospital. And so he was getting additional charges placed on him. So they brought him down to, to court. And so as he was being led, he was in like in a holding cell and one of the deputies called up and he goes, Hey, Eric, Eric. Back then my nickname was Boston because I was basically, like I said, the guy from Boston and a bunch of people from down south. Uh, a little bit of culture <laughs> shock, but, but go, hey, Boston, Boston, you're into that serial killer shit, right? Like, yeah, why? Get down here. Get your ass down here. Um, so I ran down to where he was. I'm like, wow, what the hell's going on? He goes, in there, man, in there, man. And he handed me like the, the jacket, basically the folder and stuff of, of for the transfer. I'm like, oh yeah, no shit. So I basically just peeked in the window and the guy was sitting there like all shackled and whatever. And uh, he was a pretty big dude and had that cold stare that went through you. 
that basically if he was not shackled and we were in the same room, I would probably be, probably be a victim. Um, we locked eyes and it was just like that unbelievable look of just, yeah, this guy does not see me as a human being. There's not, you know what I mean? Like the only thing that's protecting him from I is I have some weaponry on him. Uh, I have some weaponry that I could use on him. Uh, and you're shackled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but it was a very cold feeling. And then when they said, all right, man, it's time to go. And he was just like, yeah, whatever. And just kind of shuffled his way down the hall under the street to go to the, the superior court that was across the street. Um, but it was just, you just had that feeling of just evil. You know what I mean? It was like a, a palpable feeling of just, this guy is like literally like the embodiment of evil. Yeah, it's weird. Like you, you mentioned the, the stare. I've seen interviews and you're right. It, it's, it's almost like they're just not there. Like they mm-hmm. glaze over and you're just gone. You know? Yeah. Well, the glaze over is one thing. And I would say yes. And, and, and I, I would, I would question whether you guys agree with me on this, that definitely they're all, they're all gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're not there. You know what I mean? But what you're talking about, Eric, in, in that circumstance is, is a cold blooded killer. Something oh, yeah. that is not, it, it, I mean, that guy was violent. He mm-hmm. was not some dude that's like gonna s- sit there and plan to drug you. You know what I mean? When you correct, expect, he's not gonna slip you a roofie or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He, you know what I mean, and yeah. cut you up when you're unconscious. Yeah, he, this guy was gonna he he he'll come at you right there and then. He's what so, yeah, he's what you would call a disorganized serial killer, as opposed to an okay. organized one. So when you think of disorganized, essentially it's, I don't really plan my victims. I run off of impulse. I have a general idea of who I might want to kill, but I don't really follow a pattern. I don't really bring any weapons or anything with me. I just use whatever happens to be around. I really don't plan where I dump the body or how I get away. Um, and they're generally, obviously psychotic. Um, so again, he would fit in that category. Henry Lee Lucas would fit in the disorganized category. When you think of organized, I'm sorry. What did he do? Because I saw him coming up, and I just didn't Henry have time Lee to Lucas. Really look him up. Yeah. He he. People peg him. He, there's a great documentary I think on Netflix about him. Okay. He he claimed to have killed like 500 people over like you know a wow. multi multi year uh, cross country murder spree. And he was um, partnered up with Otis Tool, who claimed to have killed Adam Walsh, the son of John Walsh, the guy, the guy from America's Most Wanted. Gotcha. Really? Okay. So Henry Lee Lucas, like I said, he grew up in a horrible. Background, like his mom, he basically grew up dirt poor. His father was like a severe alcoholic, got injured, uh, and then uh, because he got drunk, he fell across some train tracks, lost his legs, couldn't really do anything. Uh, he ended up dying. His mom was an alcoholic and a prostitute, and she would bring tricks home to the house. And basically, he would say, you know, basically would would be taking care of the customers while he was around. Horribly abusive, um, and so you can. And then he basically went to like reform school. And he ended up getting attacked and raped in a reform school, and he would he would escape. And so as, like, a young teen, this guy would basically be roaming the country doing petty crimes so he could have a place to sleep or uh, something to eat, you know, steal cars, rob people and stuff. Um, and then eventually at some, I don't know if it was, like, a soup kitchen or in jail, he met Otis Tool, again, who was mildly retarded um, and also a pedophile. Um, and he was it was a... Technically, he claimed to be a serial killer, and they basically joined at the hip as friends and went around doing the same thing. They would rob people and commit petty crime. 
they eventually, like I said, got caught, and they claimed that they killed like 500 people, which they found out was just complete bullshit. They think at most he might have killed his mother, maybe. He might, he had the hots for Otis Tool's sister, who was underage, that he tried to have a relationship with, and supposedly killed her, but they're not 100% sure either. But what he would do is he would say, yeah, when I was in, I don't, I'll make something up, in Utah, yeah, there was this chick, and her name was Susie, and this is what she looked like, and, and they would try and find open cases that they had that might fit that profile. And then they'll say, well, does this sound right? What else happened? Can you, like, autograph this, please, and just say that you did it? And then they would give him stuff. So they, oh, they, they, they treated this guy like a rock star. They had detectives coming in from all over the country. They were giving this guy, like, the, the dog's life. He had great food. He was being interviewed by news agencies. And he would just sign off on every open case that they had um, up to about, like, I think, the, like they chopped it off at, like, again, no pun intended, at, like, 500 murders. Then they realized at the very end, like, this guy's full of shit because he's saying, I, di- I committed a murder in Utah, but they have him on papers, let's see, being in jail in South Carolina. It's like, you can't be in both places there, buddy. Right. Um, so then they were like, oh, yeah, we're kind of stuck because we have him signed off on these hundreds of murders that we've now closed. We can't admit that, by the way, the guy's full of shit. So they just said, okay, yeah, no, he's he's fine. And they waited him to be executed, which, you know, he, he died in prison. And now they're just like, yeah, close cases. Next. Yeah. That's pretty wild, dude. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I asked now because I, I wasn't sure. I was like, because I'm like, I've heard of all these guys, and that name came up a couple times. I'm like, I've never heard anything about this guy, and I've never done research. And I was like, he must be popular. That's in terms that's of he, his claim to fame is that he has like the highest body count. But in reality, of claim of cases they get beyond what actually he claims, yeah. what they're going to actually physically link him to at most might be two. Oh. And that's an interesting sort of psychological profile all into itself. Somebody who's willing to, you know, because it makes them feel like there's some kind of special star and they're mm-hmm. being treated that way, would actually cop to a bunch of murders they didn't commit and, you know, go to execution for stuff they didn't actually do. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty... It's all fun yeah. and games until you get the injection in your arm. <laughs> you know right. It's his last words. Wait, I was just kidding. Right. Yeah. Psych. <laughs> yeah, psych. <laughs> well, what, what's what's funny is that when he was on like death row and stuff, and towards the end of his life, he would tear up when people would ask him about it. He would say, "Well, they're claiming that I'm lying," and he would say, "Well, maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. I'm not really sure." Um, and he would say, "Well, maybe I did it, but maybe I didn't." You know, it, it's like you 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 couldn't quite he, like, built a whole persona, yeah, unto himself. Yeah, you, you couldn't quite nail him down, and he would say, yeah. you know, I hate being called a liar and a murderer, but you're claiming that you killed 500 people. So, you know, right. pick your battles, I guess, you know? What do you What do you guys think about uh, uh, David Berkowitz? I mean, I'm curious to know, especially, Eric, I, I, I got to ask you, because I don't know a whole lot about it, mm-hmm. but it it did take place in the east coast where yep. i grew up and uh th- they called him the son of sam mm-hmm. um i don't know a whole lot about that though what, do you know do you know why they called him that yes i actually i do and, and vicky can chime in as well because uh, well like david berkowitz he was actually born richard david falco mm-hmm. he grew up in new york city and he actually was in the u.s army um he was arrested in august august 10th of, of 1977 um, 
there were six people that had been killed, seven others had been wounded, all by the same 44 revolver. Now, he claimed, he confessed all the murders, what they call the Son of Sam murders. Um, he claimed that he was under the orders of a dog that lived next door to him, that he claimed was possessed by a demon, and the dog was named Sam. Uh, and the dog slash demon demanded the blood of young women, so he was basically following that uh, command. Um, even though you figured, well, that's friggin' crazy, they still found him competent to stand trial. He still pled guilty. The judge gave him six life sentences. When he got into prison, he basically became a born-again Christian. He recanted his confession. He claimed he was a member of a satanic cult and that he was only one of many uh, that actually committed the murders. Um, now, when, when you think of, well, how did Berkowitz kind of step in? Well, he was he was adopted by the Berkowitz family when he was small, and his sort of break from reality is that his mom got around, I guess you could say. His biological mother got around. I had many fathers and stepfathers who were not the nicest. Um, and so I'll just basically summarize and saying he had a very difficult childhood. So, you know, mo basically mommy was, was not his favorite person in the whole wide world. Um, his crime spree began 1975. He attacked women, but mostly white women with long dark hair, which looked like mom. Um, now here's where the son of Sam part comes in. In May of 1977, the killer left a letter to the police at the crime scene. And so it, it said, quote, I'm deeply hurt by you calling me a woman hater. I am not, but I am a monster. I am the son of Sam. I am a little brat. When Father Sam gets drunk, he gets mean. He beats his family. Sometimes he ties me up to the back of the house. Other times he locks me in the garage. Sam likes to drink blood. Go out and kill, commands Father Sam. Behind our house, some rest, mostly young, raped and slaughtered. Their blood's drained, just bones now. Papa Sam keeps me locked in the attic, too. Um, so on and so forth. Well, that was part of the letter. Um, but that's how the, quote, the son of Sam uh, became... I guess you can say world famous. And so he actually corresponded with uh, columnists from like the New York Daily News and stuff back and forth until they finally caught the guy. And they just, the way that they found him uh, was that they, a, a woman said, that's really odd. In one of the um, areas where there was a murder happening, I saw this strange guy around a particular, I think it was like a Volkswagen Beetle, I think it was. Mm. Um, so they said, oh, that's really weird. And then the woman said, I heard gunshots. I see this guy running. And the, so the police said, well, let's look at cars that we might have ticketed in the area. And they found this car that was parked illegally outside of an apartment building. They looked inside, and they found a gun and a duffel bag. And so they opened up the car. They found ammo, maps that were had the crime scenes checked out where all the, the shootings had happened. Um, the police got a search warrant to... Basically say, oh yeah, who's the registration for? David Berkowitz. Awesome. He's right here. He was his apartment building. Um, they waited for him to come out to get into his car. And once they did, he said, uh, well, you got me. Literally, quote, you got me. When they went into his apartment, he had satanic graffiti written all over the walls. And then he also had a journal where in detail he talked about, uh, you know, planning the crimes, who he wanted to shoot, what happened after it. He had it like... He had it written out in great detail, so he could sort of savor the moment. So, what are your what are your personal thoughts on him? What are your personal uh, uh, thoughts on his inspiration? Was it satanic? Was he just completely out of his mind? Was it 
he just hated his mother so much that he had to go do this stuff. I don't know. Well, I but, think later on he admitted that the dog thing was a was a story he made up, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, he recanted that confession about later the, the, the later dog demon. He said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there any? Has there been any evidence that backed up what he said about the cult? Like, has there anything that could be like, yeah, maybe? There's been several books written. One I think was called "The Most Evil: The Ultimate Evil." Um, about that very thing called based around the Process Church, which Manson also had ties to. Oddly enough, um. There have been several books actually that looked at that, and they said they can't really. Lots of gray area. They can't really say yes, and they can't really say no. But again, this is now forty years plus after the fact, twenty uh, forty five years after the fact. They're not going to find that satanic cult now. Um, but no, they haven't found any, found anything concrete, which is very common for the I'm involved in a satanic cult kind of cases. Do I believe the demon thing? Probably not. Did was he pissed off at his mom basically being? Someone that he was not proud of, you know what I mean, who basically treated him wrong. I can see him being pissed off and maybe wanting to get some revenge, but like we talked about before, you know, other ways you could probably take it, take it out on the world, not trying to shoot and kill people. Yeah. Well, most of his victims were women, though. Correct. Yep. He, okay. he stalked people that were like in lover's lane. So it would be like a guy and a woman stopping a car. Let's say they're making out and he would just walk right up to the car and just, just start shooting. I think honestly, Sunday Sam, at least for me, that was when that was going on, I was young enough that that spurred my ear. Because mm-hmm. I remember that going on. In fact, I remember there was a, an unsolved mysteries about Sunday Sam talking about it and scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. So I think Sunday Sam probably was one of the first serial killers that I was even going, what the frick is going on in this world? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, they're all weird. That none of them are normal. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know yeah. what I mean? But, I mean, it's like Richard Ramirez. You know what I mean? The Night Stalker. I have an attachment to that because I happened to move out to El Monte during the time that he was doing his killings. Oh. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So, I kind of wanted to talk about him a little bit. And I know Eric and Vicky, you guys know a lot about that. Yeah, Vicky's got the 911. I should say the 911 and the 411 on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to. I want to hear Ralph's story about that. It sounds like you had your own close. Well, brush. No, I mean he was just he was killing out in that area when I was out there. I was young, you know what I mean. I was a teenager, but he was killing people at that time, and everybody was scared out of their minds. You know what I mean? They were mm-hmm. locking their doors, locking their windows. You know what I mean? Normally, they'd have their screen doors open. That stopped pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but it was, it was definitely a, a thing. It was, it was a thing because it, for me, Richard Ramirez was kind of, for the lack of a better term, kind of ballsy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, he just, he went out at night and he did his thing. You know what I mean? Who knows? Somebody could have came up to him and said, you know what? I got a shotgun. You're fucked. You know, and isn't that the way they caught him? Didn't a bunch of people from a neighborhood end up getting that guy? That's exactly right. The yeah. fucking yeah. shit out of him. Yeah. You yeah. know I, what I, I mean? From what I understand, he was like one block from getting away. He was one block from his one of his no. relatives' house. They yanked him and beat the shit out of him. Almost beat him to death. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it, guys. That's that's the funny. That's that's what's South Central. No shit. That's what it that's was. the South funny Central part, Justice. though, about this man. It's like 
that guy was not like Jeffrey Dahmer. You know what I mean? He was not doing stuff in secret that nobody knew about for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, he just didn't uh, care. He would he be disorganized, huh? Yeah. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead, Vicky. That's the interesting thing about some of some of the just the different when you sort of look at the different styles, which is a weird term to use, but the different <laughs> styles of the killers. You know, I mean, because you definitely have, you know, there's a group that are like Ralph is saying that are just brazen, and he just didn't care. He just went out and did whatever he was going to do, and I think he probably knew all along eventually he would get caught because who else would, you know, he created it so that he would have an opportunity to get caught. Whereas a lot of these guys are li living that double life and, you know, they just sneak around in the dark and nobody ever sees them coming and nobody yeah. saw them go, you know? So it's definitely a, a whole different version. That's an interesting point you bring up, Vicky. Do you think that that's a, a, a natural thing? Do you think some of these guys want to get caught? I mean, I would, you know, obviously I've not spent time reviewing psychological profiles and stuff like that, but just sort of in my general sense of understanding, I mean, it definitely seems like the, depending on the, the type of, of killer that we're talking about, and that goes back to the organized, disorganized, whatever, mm -hmm. um, there certainly seems to be a, a group that either gets off on the idea that they're in control of something and they will then like the BTK killer basically gave himself away yeah. piece by piece by piece, you know, and there's that, that <laughs> wanting to be known and not be known at the same time where they allow themselves, you know, to slip little bits and pieces of information either to, to news outlets, to people in neighborhoods, whatever it might be to create that opportunity. Cause eventually most of them that are in it for control want people to know what they did. Like the, mm -hmm. the gentleman you talked about, you know, that, took 500, you know, lives, supposedly. Yeah. He just wanted that fame, that wanted that notoriety, wanted to be the one that was in control of all those things. Yeah. So I definitely think there's a subset, probably, of of these killers that crave that attention and want to be known for their, their deeds eventually. Because wasn't BTK the dude yeah. who, was, who actually spent 45 minutes in detail in court telling everybody how he did it? Yes. And they like he made a point of like I'm going to do something that was like legally, and then he spent the entire time telling him in detail what he did. Yeah, it was like he was getting off on. Them. He did it completely out of vanity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So there's it's definitely disturbing as shit. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is to watch. <laughs> there's definitely that that part of it for at least some of them that there is a vanity to it. Yeah. Where they uh -huh. eventually want people to know all of this wonderful things they did, and this is. Would, would you call? Would you go as far as calling it a narcissistic? Oh, absolutely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, okay. definitely. If you think about, like, BTK, he did it as a bit of narcissism, full power and control. Like, he said that he found wearing women's undergarments appealing based off of, you know, stuff that happened in his childhood, which is fine. But then he also liked being bound very tight, almost like a bondage discipline kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he combined his sexual play with A, wearing women's clothes, and B, being bound. At some point, he didn't then took that and ran with it to mm -hmm. basically do that to other people. Um, and then he he left clues and stuff. So, I mean, he, he liked taunting the police. Like, I'm one step mm -hmm. ahead of you. Here's some clues. You are too mm -hmm. stupid to figure out. Aren't I wonderful? And then decades went by. No one knew who he was. And he then came out of the woodwork and says, like, I'm not on the front page anymore. What the hell? And then he basically said, hey, I'm going to make oh. my own front page. Yeah. Oh. Did you guys ever see the show uh, Mindhunter? 
Yes, okay. I was going to actually bring that up <laughs> because that. I was going to see if you guys watched it and what yes. you thought about it. I, I was very it. sad when it went off there. Yeah. Rumor has it they might be coming back. Oh, I, I saw that remember. too. That would be was amazing. Was it HBO Max or something? They said they might yes. be resurrected. That would be amazing. Very yeah. cool show. What, what, what are you guys' thoughts uh, as far as how they went about it? Well, they really, I mean, they, the, the people that are involved, Robert Wrestler and all those that it's based on the situation they started, their whole FBI project with the psychological profiles of the killers. So, you know, it's each one of those is a case story mm-hmm. from, from real cases, you right. know, that they began. So, I mean, and I find it fascinating the way they created the psychological profiles. And I know that we talked about that a little bit earlier. And I, I think that goes all goes back to our need to understand the, what you can't understand. You know what I mean? You have to find some way to quantify and qualify the things that are happening and creating these profiles that may eventually help catch other killers and things like that. But I think it just really goes back to finding some way to understand what's not understandable. Right. That's a good way to put it, Vicky, actually. To try and find a way to understand what's not understandable. But, you know, and that's what I got to ask you, 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 you guys. I got to ask you guys this. Um, what do you think? Is, is the main reason that someone feels the need. This is a personal question, obviously. What do you think is the main reason that a person feels the need to become a murderer? Vindictive to the point of killing somebody else, taking someone's life. And that, that fulfills them on some level. What, what, what what are your thoughts about that? I know it's a deep question. Are, are you specifically talking about somebody who's not broken and is turning to murder, or are you talking about just all in general? I'm talking about well, just in general because we're let's face it, we all have problems, and we are all victims of society and our circumstances. You know what I mean? So we could all easily go well. You know what I mean? I had a hard life. I had a, a rough upbringing. You know what I mean? I had a violent, uh, you know, a family, whatever the case may be. But I mean, I grew up in the South Bronx, dude, and I had a lot of violence. My father was a fucking hitman for the mob, but that didn't make me a serial killer. It didn't make me turn into a violent person. So I'm wondering. What do you guys think is is the thing that that flips that switch? Eric, I'm gonna let you take that one. <laughs> <laughs> it, We're all one step away from becoming serial killers. Well, no, no, and it, what's what's interesting is there are what they call the snapping syndrome, which is the what, what like you said, what causes normal people to then snap and then basically jump off the edge of that abyss. Um. If I had the answer to that question, I'd have the Nobel Prize. Uh, but we don't. <laughs> but, but you're right. I mean, everyone's motivated by something, something else that causes them to snap. So there really isn't one set answer. I mean, if you think about it this way, uh, let's say in the age of COVID, let's say you lost your job and you cannot afford to feed your family and you're desperate, right? So it's like hopelessness might be a good motivator. Uh, do I rob a bank to get money? Do I, uh, do other things to that are illegal to get money. Uh, you know, 
including, let's say, since we're talking about serial murder, do I then look at people who might be vulnerable that I could easily knock off and then take money that they might have? If you look at, let's say, sexual sexual frustration, you might have sexual impulses. You might say an, an incel, someone who's involuntarily involuntarily celibate, who can't school with the ladies, who's just pissed off, has all the sexual tension and frustration that they can't they can't um, express any other way. Porn's not good enough for hiring a prostitute, maybe, but then they move to let me get. Uh, abusive with that prostitute. Maybe I'll end up killing that prostitute to basically to let all that rage out. Um, and so, like I said, it's it, there's not one set thing that causes people to snap, but it's um, it's hard to go back once you've <laughs> once you've crossed that invisible line somewhere. I, I do think everyone has it in them to potentially do things like that, but for for some reason, some people just have enough of a wall around that abyss to kind of keep them just off the edge. So basically you're saying it's not just one thing. Correct. And yeah. kind of it's stuff that is, you know, surmountable and it's the little things that kill and it adds up. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I would agree with that. I, I do think that that's what happens to people. I think... Um, that is one, it's not one thing. I, I mean, it could be one thing, but I think it's a lot of things. I think it's a lot of build up, and I think people, there's people that can't handle it, you know what right. I mean? And so they lose well, it. And if you look you at know? the history of a lot of them, like we were just talking about all these, you know, Ted, I mean, Richard Ramirez, all these guys, you know, they had the worst of the worst of the world thrown at them as a child. Mm -hmm. They weren't equipped to defend it. They hadn't even had a chance to build up any walls to defend anything like that. So once you let evil in, in that sense, what are you going to do? You, mm -hmm. There's no getting it out, you know. Well, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point, Cody, because that's, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember the movie Sybil. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know what I mean? And she had like all these personalities, multiple personalities disorder or whatever they called it. But, yeah. uh, you know, she was tormented by her mother you know what i mean and 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 so that's what you were saying earlier cody is that some of these guys are made or you know what i mean yeah. they're they're made they're, they're tormented to the point where they snap especially as kids i mean what do you what are your thoughts about that eric do you think that there is a lot of people have said to me in the past that um there's a certain uh learning uh tendency that we have you know what i mean where uh by the time we're like seven or eight years old we've already instilled what we're going to believe in for the rest of our lives so the belief system basically do you believe that do you think that that's part of maybe what's going on in this situation a little bit i think by seven or eight you're, you're laying a lot of groundwork but the like the human brain really doesn't stop growing until you're about 18 because you look at, for example, teenagers that do stupid shit, uh, because they don't have that that filter of impulse control, emotional maturity, and other things that takes until about eighteen for them to kind of fully realize. That's why they say, for example, they won't diagnose major mental illness until you've reached eighteen years old and gone through puberty. Yeah. Uh, you might show signs of mental illness as a child or as a teenager, but you really can't be diagnosed until you reach adulthood at age eighteen. Um, so. 
whether Johnny's going to be a good boy or if Johnny's going to be a potential serial killer, yes, a lot of the building blocks would come into place while they're young. Um, but again, let's say if they have that rough upbringing at seven or eight, can they sort of shake it out and, and grow out of it, so to speak, as a teenager? Yeah. But unfortunately, most people who are serial killers, it just, it's constant. They don't have time to really learn any other good behavior. It's just a shitstorm of just negative behavior, negative consequence. So they really don't, you know, have a chance to to learn anything else. Yeah, and I think somewhere in there, there's probably a, a twinge of mental illness of some sort as well. Yes, know, I would they agree. Tend to go hand in hand. So to bring it back to the beginning conversation that we had about soldiers, police officers, and serial killers, like what separates those three types of people. Mm-hmm. When you go into the military or when you go into law enforcement, you have extensive psychological testing, you know, on paper and in person to see if you are emotionally adjusted enough, like you said, to pick up a firearm and shoot and murder another human being. Right. In the military, it's under the context of you were commanded to do a, essentially do a job. Same thing with a police officer. You, uh, you know, they extensive psychological testings. Even if you discharge your firearm in the line of duty and not shoot anybody, you still have to go uh, pre-shooting counseling sessions to make sure that you're okay with the fact of, I could have taken a life. Um, and so to kind of keep people whole. There aren't too many soldiers that I know of who come from active duty who don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. From being, think of it like being in a slasher movie or in, in a violent video game where you can't set it to easy setting if you keep getting killed in the game. It's always on the, the hard setting and you can't hit restart. And it's constant. And that wears on people. Uh, and so there are many people who leave the military who have post-traumatic stress disorder who then can't they can't deal with a post-traumatic stress disorder. They can't deal with civilian life, and then they commit crimes. If you think about it, there was a guy not that long ago who was a former Marine who marched in and killed like four people because he thought the girl was being kidnapped. Do you remember this case in Florida, I think it was? Sounds familiar. I think mm-hmm. so, yeah. So like I said, the, that's what a lot of people fault the VA for not helping soldiers after they come home to give them a better chance to come out of that, you were a trained killer, you will shoot anything that moves on command without worrying about it, to then saying, you now have to be a law-abiding, caring person. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got to be shitting me. Same thing with police officers. If you're in, like, the worst neighborhood, right, let's say the South Bronx, right, or mm-hmm. Philly, mm-hmm. and you're uh, 10 years on the force and you've seen the most deplorable stuff that human beings can do to one another, you're going to tell me that you're going to stop working and saying... I'm going to go work for Amazon, and everything's going to be fine. I can just sort of shake that off. No. <laughs> well, um, because then also I think, too, I think to a lot of people there is that veil of naivety. Like, oh, the world's not that bad. I have my Starbucks, and I go to my job and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And when you have somebody who's brought up that way or seen that kind of foreign war, right. you're like, you're not going to lie to me again. Mm-hmm. You know, you think this matters? <laughs> you know, like right. that kind of stuff. Right. And meanwhile, they're screaming and going, you're being mean or you're being – psychotic because you think this is too big a deal and they're just isolated or alienated right so i mean there is no psychological screening or counseling for serial killers even just for regular murderers they just don't you know what i mean so they don't even have that framework i mean when you think of it in psychology it's what they call maslow's hierarchy of needs which is for human cognitive development the most basic is do you have enough to eat you know like basically enough to meet biological needs 
And then you get up to the tip top of like they, as a pyramid, and the very top is being self-actualized. Very few people get to self-actualization. Um, most of us fall in the middle part of that, which is just being essentially a, a normal human being. People who are like serial killers never get out of the basic stage because they, as, as in the, uh, the way that they grow up is they're neglected and they're abused. So they never get beyond, uh, stages of like moral development. They're sort of like locked in, um, like a very animalistic, very basic mm-hmm. way of life where everything is like survival. So they, they can't have things like, I love you. I want to be warm and nurtured. They're just thinking of kill or be killed. Right. They're just full savage. Yeah, pretty much. Kind of going on. Well, what's, what's, what's the connection, uh, Eric, with the, with the animals? Uh, cause I, I know that not all, but some, have been known to kill animals. Um, you mean serial killers? Yes. What's the connection with that? Like the animal torture and stuff? Yeah, killing animals, torturing them, messing with them, you know what I mean, cutting off their heads, that kind of stuff. I know that there's some that have done it. There's not, I'm, I'm not saying all of them have, but I know mm-hmm. that there's some that have done that. And uh, I wonder what the connection with that. Well, what's fun, what, what's funny, you think of like the animal kingdom is animals routinely kill other animals because it's either, A, you are food and I'm higher on the food chain than you are, or I'm trying to set dominance and therefore I'm proving my dominance by basically killing you. We do the same sort of thing, but we do it in a much sicker, uh, you know, way, which is, if you think about it, that's what kind of separates us from the animals. We turn murder into an art form. Um, whereas the animals just, they do it out of just pure survival and biology. Um, but when you talk about, for example, um, we mentioned it earlier in the show is bedwetting, fire setting, and torturing small animals is a common, uh, trifecta, whatever you want to call it, the holy, tr- the unholy trinity uh, that a lot of serial killers follow as children. Now, if you think about it, kids who come from that background, they develop like a fantasy world that they are the number one, right? So they think I'm in control. I'm the God of my own realm. I make all the rules. Um, and, so the way they look at it is they're dominating another life form that they might not be able to, they can't dominate mom who's a, a drug addicted prostitute that beats the crap out of him, let's say. <laughs> so instead it's, well, I can take this little mouse and I can do horrible things to it. So A, I'm in control. Uh, you know, B, I take physical control over this and, uh, I can take out anger and rage that I have. You know what I mean? But, but still in, in a sick way watching an animal be tortured and scream and, and, and whatever. It, 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 like I said, it's uh, it's not a one-to-one relationship. Like again, if the child you know tortures small animals, therefore they're going to be a serial killer. But it's an absolute red flag. So, so on some in some instances, you can say that a serial killer is a bully that went completely out of control. Oh yeah, Just, yeah, took it to the next level in a big way. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean. But what's because also you, but what's also funny if, if Vicky she wants to go through the. The, the the other common characteristics, if I believe, Vicky, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is serial killers are more likely to be bullied than be the bully. Yes. Really? Um, yeah, let me, bear with me a second. Let me pull that out. I've got that information handy, Dandy. Uh, um, <laughs> so there, there's the common characteristic list is obviously mental illness. 
uh, lack of remorse or guilt, lack of impulse control, abuse, abusive or ne- neglected childhoods, lack of good relationship with family members. So that's sort of all what we've been talking about. Um, fire setters, bedwetters, sadistic behavior against people and or animals. Um, and then bully or so- bullied or socially isolated. So they generally don't tend to be the bully. They tend to be the ones that are bullied. I guess so, if you think about it logically, though, that would make sense. Because if they're torturing yeah. small animals, they're looking for any outlet of control. Right, right. So, so they anything are, outside that, they're just getting pummeled. Exactly, exactly. That so sense. that's the one place where they are in charge. So would you say that they're kind of cowards in a way? Huge cowards, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. if you definitely want to look at it from that direction, um, you know, they are looking to assert some sort of dominance over whatever they can. And since generally in the rest of, like Eric said, the rest of their lives – they have no say, no anything, no control of any kind. They're looking for some way to assert that over something else. Wow. So obviously animals is the easiest thing to do. Yeah, that's some trippy shit too because you, you brought up Mindhunter and the, the big you know the big guy in that movie was Ed Kemper. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. listen to his story and he was having stories where he would pick up women just to prove to himself that he didn't have to kill them. Mm-hmm. So he would be sitting there driving them to their destination going, I could do it right now. I could go right now, but I'm not going to. And mm-hmm. then he would let them out. That's, to that's make it. sure that he was in control of not killing them as much as he was of killing them. Right. Wow. <laughs> which, 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 which is crazy. Interesting but... psychology there. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, it's like I, got, I guess I admire the self-discipline, but damn. <laughs> <Right>. The impulse <laughs> control of the non-impulse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What the fuck, man? Um, okay. Oh, I have one more question that I wrote down, and it's kind of a philosophical thing. But you talked about how – when was the first recorded serial killer? It's like that... 114 B.C. 114 B.C. So is it, do we think it's possible that serial killers and that act may have been the basis for like your demons, your vampires and all of that in the background because they've been doing this since the centuries and if they're pretty good at keeping tabs and being quiet about it, you might people going, this has to be demon shit, you know? Hmm. That is a very interesting question. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, besides that, you know, the things like vampires and werewolves and all that kind of stuff comes out of legend from somewhere. Right. Um, obviously there's a group of people that believe all that stuff is real, but the basis of the horror, the evil that would create or someone that would be a serial killer back, you know, in 114 BC, um, they would be the stuff that legends are made of. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, like well, I, said, I mean, Jack the Ripper was kind of, I mean, he's, you know what I mean? Out of all the serial killers, isn't he the most, I don't know, I don't want to, I, I, I would put him into that horror frame, you know what I mean, of like monsters, monsters. But I think- You know, the rest of them, they fall under that category of guys that were drugging people and doing things, you know... Uh, Outside of what people knew, they were leading normal lives. Everybody didn't, nobody knew they were fucking doing the things they were doing, the horrible acts they were committing. But Jack the Ripper was like this, you know what I mean? Monstrous guy that came out at night and just killed hookers. Well, and I think part of his, part of his, or appeal is the wrong word, but part of his legend was A, he was one of the first most popular viral characters, if you will. Right. Yeah. But I think now it's just so long has passed that we put that spin on. Mm-hmm. Well, know, was he so. looked at like a big devil demon back then, or was he looked like, hey, some dickhead's killing 
prostitutes down there. Well, it, it it's funny because that's that's a very very interesting point. Is you think of like Jack the Ripper is sort of like the old school equivalent of like Zodiac. They're two serial killers that we've never caught, and people are still as of today writing books on Jack the Ripper and on on the Zodiac as to who they think it is. And people say, I I lost count of how many people they think. Jack the Ripper could have been, or who the Zodiac mm-hmm. could have been, and there, and everyone says, no, that's not, it's not that guy. My new book or my do- documentary says it's this guy. You know, it's kind of like DB Cooper at this point. Um, everyone thinks it's their uncle, kind of thing. But with Jack the Ripper, I think what makes him so scary is the fact that he was never caught. And at the time, uh, you have to think of like with newspapers, is he became basically front page news, almost like exploitation. And it was like viral for his time of. Yeah, this guy is hiding in the fog of of Whitechapel and East London and slashing women, you know, gutting them like a fish, and and they and sensationalize it, and people were were terrified. Um, so he was sort of like yeah, the. Do you think part of it was the media, the media selling it? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, the big right. monsters, you know, that Be, kind of. Because I mean, think about it this way: he did it in, essentially in the ghetto. It was a lot of immigrants and and the poor, and it was rife again with with prostitutes. Nine times out of ten, if if a guy went and said, I'm going to just slash a bunch of prostitutes, most people wouldn't give a shit. Um, eventually, if they caught him, great. If not, then so what? Yeah. Um, yeah so, I mean, I, I the media like loved the story, and it sold newspapers. It was money. It was business. Nothing has changed. Yeah, no. I was gonna say, <laughs> it really hasn't. Not a goddamn <laughs> thing. Sam and the Night Stalker, and they all got the cool names. And the, yep. Yeah. Business all about as the product. Usual. Yep. <laughs> How to sell a story. That's what it all comes down to. <laughs> well, you guys, guys it's, it's been great talking with you guys. We'll have you guys back on again if you guys wish to come back on. Anytime. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. Definitely. It, it's, it's a, it's a fun, it's a fun discussion every time we get on with you guys. So. Well, you know, yeah, what's the what, next one we're going to do? You want to do yeah, aliens? Oh you want to do <laughs> yeah, we'll do we'll aliens. ghosts maybe, and serial yeah, killers? Maybe we'll do aliens next time. <laughs> we'll do mean, aliens, yeah. The, oh, we've got oh, we have some good guests about that one, too. So we don't have to go out to that one, yeah. I'm down. We'll figure it out for sure. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you guys pick a bunch of topics. We'll figure it out something behind the scenes. <laughs> That's cool. Hell yeah. All right, guys. It's hey, been man. awesome. Thanks so much. We appreciate ha- it. Have have a good night, guys. Uh, take care of yourselves. Uh, be safe. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks um, for putting up for my bullshit. For those who don't know, <laughs> we're working this fucking show like nobody's business. Oh, oh my god. god! Eric's recording. Eric's it's teamwork, recording. man. It's thank, teamwork. Thank, thank you, Eric, <laughs> thank so you, much Eric. for helping us out, yeah, bro. Because this show appreciate went off that. the rails right yeah. off the bat. Yeah, so well, we, we picked it back but, up and we kept but, going. But, hey, but we had fun. So we did. You know fun? what I mean? So Absolutely. It was, it was a cool show, and, and and thank you, Eric, for for helping us out with that problem. Yeah, no worries. I'll do some post production on it, master it, and send it back over to you. Love okay. it. Good, oh shit, now you're gonna make it sound way better than I usually do. Oh, sorry. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so good, man. I'll just I give know. you the wrong Sean footage. Be all, it'll be all smooth. There'll be some smooth jazz in the background. There you go. <laughs> 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 <laughs>